It was just over a year ago when I shared with you what we worked and put together as the purpose of Calvary Chapel Living Water. It's things that we've known and we've been practicing, but the Lord really led us to uh, write it down to make sure it's articulated, that it's clear, and that we understand why we exist as a church. And so we put it together this way. The purpose of Calvary Chapel Living Water is to equip the saints to invite people to Jesus, believe in Jesus, and serve one another in love by the Holy Spirit. And that summarizes the reason why we exist as a church. We shorten it down to, to help us remember, invite, believe, and serve. This is why we exist, to invite people to Jesus, to believe in Jesus, and believing in Jesus includes the Bible studies that we do where we're learning what the Bible says. We're learning more about the Lord and what it means to live out our faith as we walk with God. Then we also uh, serve one another in love. And we have opportunities to serve, you know, around here at the church. We have opportunities to, you know, deliver canned goods to Peru. We have opportunities to minister to one another by praying for one another, by sharing scriptures and words of prophecy, words of wisdom with one another. There's lots of opportunities that we have to serve one another. And this is the reason why God has gathered this group of people together uh, it's to invite people to Jesus, to believe in Jesus, and serve one another in love. And this is the reason why we exist. Uh, you know, we don't, we're not going to disband and just, you know, hey, let's just dismantle the church. Everybody just go and fill out all the churches of Corona because, hey, there's a lot of great Bible teaching churches that are focused on the Lord, that are, you know, walking with God, and there's great opportunity there. But God has uniquely gathered us together as members of the body of Christ for this specific purpose, to be focused on these particular things. Now, as I shared this just over a year ago, I also shared at the same time that, well, God was wanting to grow us and develop us in one particular area. Believing in Jesus, I believe that we're really strong in that area. We're, we're, it's kind of part of our church culture. We, we study the Word. We know the Word. We're solid when it comes to the Word of God. And serving one another, uh, although there's always opportunity and need, uh, we also do a really good job of serving one another and ministering to one another. And it's something that God has blessed us with, that, uh, that serving of one another goes on continually. But at that time, and I will continue to share today, that the, the area that God really wants to grow us in is the first part, and that is inviting people to Jesus. Now, over the past two years, we've been doing a lot of outreaches. Uh, usually we have the annual outreaches like Light the Night, but we've been doing the, the monthly outreaches and uh, doing a lot more to be able to reach out to the community and invite people to Jesus. And so we have been growing in that area. But this morning, I want to share with you that God wants to continue to call us to step forward and to continue to grow in this specific aspect of inviting people to Jesus. As we've been doing the outreaches over the past couple of years, we've been sharing a particular emphasis, and that is the one-on-one -on -one ministry that is so important in our outreaches. Like as we go to the park, you know, we have the stage, we have the band, we have people sharing the gospel with the microphone. But we've been sharing, and I would continue to share with you that 
that's going on, the stage is happening, but the primary ministry that's going on, the, the real ministry is happening one-on-one, individually, with you as the body of Christ, as you connect with those who are there and minister to them and share with them, uh, talk with them and pray with them, that that's really been the emphasis of our outreaches, the emphasis and the focus that we've uh, sought to keep because that's what God's called us to. And over and over again, He has been reiterating that and showing us that He's not calling us to do, you know, like Harvest Crusade style events where, you know, we preach the gospel on the microphone and masses of people come forward. That's, that's not the ministry that He's given to us, at least not at this time. Instead, the ministry that He's given to us is the one-on-one individual ministering to people that we come in contact with. And so this morning, as we look at Acts chapter 8, this is the extension of the things that God has been teaching us, where we've been learning better and better to invite people to Jesus, and now God wants us to take another step forward. And so we're going to be talking about preaching the word everywhere from Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. And the first point I'd like to share with you this morning is that the people preached the word. And you can see that here in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, and then also in verse 4. Verse 1 says this, Now Saul was consenting to his death. Now, his death, it's referring to Stephen, who was martyred, and we'll come back and talk about him in just a moment. But it says, At that time a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Now, this verse is important because it is the fulfillment of something that Jesus had promised and declared to his disciples. If you would rewind back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, a verse you're probably familiar with, it's where Jesus promised the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And so Jesus says, look, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit, and you're going to be my witnesses. And then he names three specific areas. Jerusalem, you're going to be witnesses of Jesus in Jerusalem. And then Judea and Samaria, this particular area, you're going to be witnesses to Jesus there. And then to the end of the earth, you're going to be witnesses to Jesus as well. And that's a verse we're familiar with. We know about this promise of the Holy Spirit. But what's interesting about this, as I've been uh, meditating on this and studying and preparing for this morning, is I began to ask, how was this fulfilled? Jesus said, you will be witnesses to me in these three areas. The question I began to ask is, how was this fulfilled? How did this happen? Jesus said it would happen. How did it happen? Well, we know the Holy Spirit came upon the church in Acts chapter 2. They filled Jerusalem with the gospel message. The religious leaders testified of that. And then the gospel began to spread into Judea and Samaria, just like Jesus said. But how did that happen? Well, we have the answer here in Acts chapter 8 verse 1. And we can see clearly this was not fulfilled by the apostles. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus says, you'll be witnesses to me in Judea and Samaria. That did not happen by the apostles. It happened by 
the people. Look at the end of verse 1. It says, And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So the situation is here. The church is in Jerusalem. And the church has grown massively. Remember, Peter stood up and preached uh, on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 got saved. And then uh, it was a little bit later on, another 5,000 were added to the church. And the Bible declares that people were added to the church as they were being saved. So we have, you know, what we would maybe consider today a mega church happening in Jerusalem there in the book of Acts. But it's all in Jerusalem. It's only happening in Jerusalem. But now in Acts chapter 8, there's this great persecution that comes against the church. And so everybody's scattered. They pack their bags. They leave town. Except the apostles. The apostles stay back in Jerusalem. The rest of the 8,000 Christians, or how many ever there were, it was at least 8,000, they leave town. They move out of Jerusalem into the surrounding regions, into Judea and Samaria. But the apostles stay back in Jerusalem. Now we jump down to verse 4 and it says, Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. So the apostles are there in Jerusalem. Everybody else is scattered. They leave town. And it tells us here in verse 4 that as they left, wherever they went, they preached the word. The apostles weren't scattered. The people were. It's the people of the church in Jerusalem who fulfilled the promise that Jesus gave in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. It was the normal Christians in Jerusalem. People just like you and I. It was these people who went forward and brought the gospel to Judea and Samaria. They were preaching the word. Now preaching the word begins with the gospel. You can use preaching the word in the idea of, you know, going through the scriptures and the whole counsel of God's word. But it begins with the gospel. That that's the message that you start with when you're preaching the word. You share the good news of what Christ has done and what has he done? Well, he is God, yet being God, he became man. He humbled himself to become a human like you and I so that He would be able to die upon the cross for our sins. Because we had been cut off from God by our sinful nature, by our sinful condition. And so we could not have access to God. We had no hope of eternity because we are sinful. But Jesus became a man so that He could die upon the cross, that we could believe upon Him and receive everlasting life that we could be forgiven of our sins and be brought into a right relationship with God. That's the gospel. That's what Jesus did for us. And that's the beginning of preaching the word. And then when someone accepts that and says, yes, I believe in Jesus, they're born again and they can now receive the rest of what the scriptures have to say and grow now in a relationship with God. In other words... The people are scattered from Jerusalem. They're preaching the gospel. People are getting saved and they're discipling them and helping them to grow in their relationship with God. They're making disciples, which is the great commission that has been given to us. 
Now I think this is really important for all of us to understand and consider because of our tendencies. If you're anything like me, well, you tend to think that other people are supposed to preach the Word. You know, we could think of people like Pastor Greg Laurie. He is an evangelist. And he's used mightily by God in that. And so we tend to think it's his job to preach the gospel. You know, Southern California, he's got that covered. He's got the Harvest Crusade. He's got those events. And so no real big responsibility for me to preach the gospel because he's got the Harvest Crusade. He's got this area covered. Or now as they launch into Harvest America, well, hey, you know, we don't need to preach the gospel in America. He's got it covered. He's out to reach the nation with the gospel. And we tend to think that way, that that's for him to do, or that's for pastors to do, or evangelists to do, or missionaries to do. But what we see here in Acts chapter 8 is that it's the people who spread the gospel, not a person. It's the people. It's the individuals connecting with other individuals that are really accomplishing the work of spreading the gospel, of preaching the word. The Apostle Paul did a lot to advance the gospel. The Apostle Peter did a lot to advance the gospel. But they did very little when you compare it to what the people did. They spread the gospel. They established churches. But it's the people of the churches who are connecting with the individuals who did the majority of the ministry, the preaching of the word. Oh sure, Paul and Peter did a lot and they did a lot establishing the New Testament for us, writing the scriptures, they were important, I'm not saying that, but, but the point is, we tend to think that, you know, Paul went and there was a crusade everywhere he went, and he preached and thousands came forward. But, but that's not really how it happened. In fact, Paul himself, the majority of his ministry, was ministering to individuals. And so we need to understand that it's not about having a big event, you know, with the, the large crowd and the massive response, that, that happens and God uses that, but primarily the way that God accomplishes His work is by us individually connecting with other individuals and ministering to them. It's the people who preached the Word. And that's why I always go back to, and I share as often as I can, what Jesus shared as the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. Where Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Jesus said, Alright guys, you've seen me crucified, you've seen me resurrected, you have the whole story now, now your job is to go and to make disciples. You see that I really am God. You see that I really am the Savior. The salvation is in me. Now go spread the word. 
bring people to the saving knowledge of me and teach them how to walk with me. This great commission that Jesus gave is not just for the 12 disciples or the 11 disciples because Judas had abandoned them. There were other believers, there were other followers of Jesus there at the same time as Jesus is giving this command. It wasn't a command only to the 11 apostles. It was a command to all of his followers. It's a command not just for missionaries, it's a command for you and I as believers in Jesus Christ. Every believer is to be about the business of making disciples. It's a charge and a responsibility that the Lord has given to you. He calls you to make disciples. Again, it begins with the gospel, and then it continues on as people receive the gospel with the teaching to observe all things that He has commanded us. Teaching how to walk with Him. Now, one of the ways that we can understand and know that this is a message, a command, not just for those people there on the mountain that day, but also for us, is Jesus says at the end of verse 20, He says, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. He says, look, as you're about this business of making disciples, I'm going to be with you all the way to the end of the age. But the thing is, we haven't reached the end of the age yet. And those disciples, those believers on the mountain with Jesus, they're gone. They died a long time ago. Because this is to continue on with all believers. That as we engage in the work of making disciples, Jesus says, I will be with you. I will be with you even until the end of the age. We also know that this command is not just for those people there because it was given in a company with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Jesus gave them the command. Here's your task. Reach the world. Make disciples. But He said, don't go yet. Wait. Wait until you receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. And so then in Acts chapter 2, we see that promise fulfilled. And the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the church. And they begin to work the way that God had called them to in making disciples and being witnesses to Jesus. But it wasn't just those 120 in the upper room that received the Holy Spirit. Those who believed in Jesus later on in Acts chapter 4, they received the Holy Spirit. The household of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 received the Holy Spirit. All throughout the book of Acts we see the Holy Spirit is given to the believers in Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 5 we even have the command to believers to be filled with the Spirit. The primary purpose of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to cause us, to enable us to be witnesses to Jesus. And we are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. And so this is a task, this is a command that is given to us. Be filled with the Spirit and be a witness to Jesus and make disciples. In other words, you are called to preach the Word. It's your call. It's your command. It's what God instructs you to do. Are you doing it? Are you preaching the Word? Are you being a witness to Jesus in this world? Well, as you consider that, 
We'll move on now to the second point as we look at verses 2 and 3 here in Acts chapter 8. And you need to know as you decide whether or not you're going to be preaching the word, you need to know that persecution accompanies preaching. That's point number two. Persecution accompanies preaching. There's always going to be opposition to the gospel. Jesus said in John chapter 15 verse 18, he said, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Jesus says, look, don't be surprised when the world hates you. Because it hated me, so it's going to hate you. When you align yourself with Jesus, there's going to be opposition. The world will hate you. Look at verse 2. It says, And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. This is really the conclusion of Acts chapter 7, where Stephen has been preaching the word. And the religious leaders, well, they hated it. So much so that they stoned him to death to try to get him to stop preaching the word. Because he told them the truth. He dealt with the issue of sin. He dealt with the issue of of God's judgment and salvation through Jesus Christ. And they hated it. So they put him to death. And so now they've buried him. And the church is making great lamentation over this. The point is, Stephen experienced persecution because he preached the word. It's always going to be the case. And we see it continue in verse 3. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. So now Saul of Tarsus, he wasn't satisfied with just having Stephen be put to death, but now he goes around, he's searching out, knocking on doors, finding Christians, dragging them off to prison, doing everything he can to cause them to renounce their faith, to turn away from Jesus. He's on the attack, opposed to what God has done. It's always going to be the case, guys. The Bible says that men love darkness rather than light. And so when we shine the light of Christ, there will be opposition, persecution. And you have to choose. You have to make a choice. Will you align yourself with the world so that you do not experience that kind of persecution? Or will you align yourself with Christ? You have to choose which one you're going to align yourself with. Those are the only two options. You align yourself with the world, or you align yourself with Jesus Christ. Now, if you align yourself with the world, the Apostle John tells us in his uh, first letter, that friendship with the world is enmity towards God. In other words... If you choose the world, that's your alignment, that's where you stand. You're choosing to be God's enemy. You're fighting against God. Now, if you choose to be with Christ, Jesus said, No, the world hated me and the world's going to hate you. So you're making yourself an enemy of the world. Either way, you're going to have an enemy. There's going to be opposition. 
But which side will you choose? Will you stand with Christ, be united with Him, be walking with Him, or will you walk in the things of this world? You have to choose. Now obviously, I would say you need to choose Christ. Because that's the only way of salvation. That's the only way of forgiveness. But so many times we try to kind of walk the middle. Well, I want to be saved, but I don't want to be all radical and stuff. I don't want to be fully aligned because I want to also walk in the world and enjoy sinful practices and my sinful lifestyle. But God has called us to live for Him. To make a choice. And it's the best choice. It's the better choice. But you need to know there's going to be persecution. There's going to be opposition. I like the way the, the Apostle Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. In verse 15 he says, For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. He says, look, you as a believer, you're a fragrance. You're letting off an aroma. Both to those who are being saved and to those who are perishing. Now Paul goes on to say, to one we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. So he says, look, you as a believer, you're, you're giving off a scent. There's an aroma coming forth from you. And those who are being saved, well, it's a pleasing aroma. You know, when you get around other believers, it's, it's pleasing, it's uplifting, it's building. Or if you're around those who are wanting to be saved and you're sharing with them the gospel and they're responding to it, it's a pleasing aroma. They enjoy your presence. They enjoy the company. But at the same time, as this aroma is going forth, those who are receiving it... It's a pleasant aroma. But those who are rejecting Christ, it's a foul aroma. They don't like the scent. They don't like the smell. And so Paul says it's the aroma of death leading to death. Because your presence, as you've identified yourself with Christ, as you represent Him, your presence reminds them and declares to them, well, the death that they are in and the death that they will experience if they continue to reject God. The salvation that's found in Jesus Christ. And so there's going to be opposition as you stand up for the Lord and preach the Word. People are going to be receiving it. It's a nice aroma. They love it. They're excited by it. They're encouraged by it. They're responding to it. But then there's also those who say, well, that's a foul smell. I don't like that. And they will be in opposition to it. So you are called to preach the word because that's what the people do. That's what the people of God do. But you need to know that you will experience some persecution as a, as a result. There will be opposition. Well, finally, the third point from this passage this morning is in verse 5. And that is that evangelists are revealed by preaching. So as the people go everywhere preaching, the gospel is being shared, there's some persecution that's resulting, but also what we see happening here is the revelation of 
an evangelist. Verse 5 says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. Now this is not the first time we've seen Philip in the Bible. He, well he's mentioned earlier in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 6. And there in Acts chapter 6 there's a situation where there's some practical needs that need to be met. There's some widows within the church and the food is not being distributed fairly to them. And so they come to the apostles and they say, Hey, you guys need to take care of this because it's not fair how this is being distributed. And so you have there Peter's response as they sought the Lord. They said, look, our call is to be focused on the Word of God and prayer. We can't set aside these things that God has called us to do to wait on tables. And so let's do this. Let's raise up other guys who will be able to serve and fill that need. And so they raised up these other guys. They, they, they chose these guys who would be able to, to serve and minister to those who are in need. Philip was one of those guys. And so the first time we see him in Acts chapter 6, he's what well, we would consider it just very basic service. He would take what was given in, whatever was donated essentially, and he would distribute it evenly and fairly to those who had need. It was a very simple, practical way of serving the people there in the church in Jerusalem. But here in Acts chapter 8, we see another side of Philip and his ministry. Now as the people are scattered, Philip is among them. Now as he goes forth preaching the word, just like all the rest of the people are, well, it's uncovered, it's discovered, it's found out that he is also called to be an evangelist. Here it says that he went to Samaria and preached Christ to them. And then it goes on into verse 6 to say that the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip. But the multitudes responded. And so when we think of like an evangelism event like the Harvest Crusade, that's what was happening here. Philip goes to Samaria. He has a, a crusade. The multitudes hear him and people are responding. So that is a valid ministry. That is, you know, a way that God works in that evangelism to the multitudes. The primary work happens one-on-one -on -one amongst individuals, but there are those who are called to be evangelists, to reach the crowds. Now, Philip also ministered individually. Later on, here in Acts chapter 8, he ministers to the Ethiopian eunuch and he shares the gospel with him from the book of Isaiah. And he gets saved and gets baptized. He's taken by the Holy Spirit from there and he goes to Azotus in Acts chapter 8 verse 40. It says, he preached the gospel in all the cities that he went through until he came to Caesarea. And so everywhere he goes, it's, it's clear now, this is his calling. He's been called by the Lord to proclaim the gospel. It's his unique ministry. In Acts chapter 21 verse 8, he's specifically referred to as Philip the Evangelist. The first person called an evangelist in the scriptures. He was called to be an evangelist. Now this wasn't revealed in Acts chapter 6 as he's serving. But it was revealed as he went forth and began to preach the word just like everybody else. It became clear that he had a specific call to be an evangelist. Now I bring that up today. I think this is very exciting because 
I want to share with you that some of you are called to be evangelists. And you don't even know it yet. Just like Philip in Acts chapter 6. He didn't know he was called to be an evangelist yet. He was just serving. He just won an opportunity and he was taking the opportunity to serve the Lord. And so this call, the gift that God had given to him was not used. It was not exercised until he began to preach the gospel. Then, well, the gift was developed and it became clear that that is what he was called to do. As I was growing up within the church here, I had no idea that God had called me to teach or that He'd gifted me to teach. I was the guy back in youth group days, some of the older guys here, they can remember this. I, I was fearful to go ask for ketchup from the counter at the fast food place because I'd have to talk to somebody. I just, I was terrified of people, petrified. I'd stand in front of a group and speak. No way. Not going to happen. I had no idea that that's what I was called to. It was unused, not exercise. But then as God began to prompt my heart and there was opportunities and people encouraged me and asked me to begin to teach, you know, just start out a little bit, just, just share a couple of words, just share a verse, share something encouraging. And so I was like, oh, you know, I don't want to do it, but I want to be obedient to the Lord. So I began to take those steps. And as I began to do it, then it began to be clear. This is something that God has called me to. That's true of all gifts of the Spirit. Every believer has received a spiritual gift from the Lord where God wants to work in you and through you supernaturally to accomplish work for His kingdom. But it doesn't, you know, you don't come with a label. You're not born with a label. Gift of, you know, whatever. How do, how do you find out then? Well, you begin to serve like Philip did in Acts chapter 6. And you take opportunities and you begin to develop. And it becomes clear as you're in the midst of trying things, well, definitely I'm not gifted in that area. And you go this way, oh, I'm definitely not gifted in that area. And you begin to serve in different capacities. You begin to serve in, and respond to different opportunities. And it becomes clear as you serve that, oh, this is something God has called me to. This is a way that He's gifted me to minister to His people and to those who need to know Him. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, he says, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. He says, look, Timothy, you have a gift from God, but you're just kind of letting it lie dormant. You need to stir it up. Put it to work. It's easy for us to kind of kick back and just like not engage. Even though God's gifted us, we, we don't engage in it. And so what we're calling you today to do is to lean forward, not to lean back and say, okay, Lord, if you yank me into the ministry, if you yank me into preaching the word, if you yank me into using my gifts, then I'll do it. No, you knock on the door. You push and see if it opens. You lean in, stir up the gifts. And see what God has for you. Specifically in the context of what we're looking at today, start preaching the Word. And you may discover that God has called you to evangelism. Again, the focus here is on the one-on-one -on -one ministry. That's the emphasis that God has given us. We've been sharing that. 
And now God continues to call us to grow in it. It was a few years back on Wednesday evenings that we rearranged our evening service to have the one another ministry time after, uh, after every service. And we're praying for one another. We're sharing words of prophecy, words of wisdom, sharing scriptures with one another. We've transferred that now to Sunday evenings and we do that for our Sunday evening service. This has been practice that we in a safe environment have been able to learn how to hear from the Lord, how to share with others, how to pass on verses that God has spoken to us and pray for other people around us. It's practice in a safe environment so that we can go to war where the enemy is. And I don't mean the people, but Satan. And there's going to be battles and fears and doubts and spiritual warfare that goes on. And so we practice here. We pray for one another. We encourage one another here so that we go out there and we, we, we've heard from the Lord. We've got some familiarity with what that's like so that we can pray and connect with people one-on-one and share the gospel with them and minister to them. And so as God continues to develop that emphasis for us as a body here in inviting people to Jesus, well, He put upon our hearts the vision for these shirts that you see many of us wearing today. And I want to express to you the the vision for these shirts so that you understand the reason why we're doing this and the reason why we want to make sure that you get one. The vision for these shirts is, first of all, we want to give a shirt to every adult. No charge, no cost, free shirt for every adult. We're talking about high schoolers and up. Now, we are going to be ordering more shirts, and so if you want extra shirts, uh, we can provide those at $10 each. But your first shirt is free. We want everybody to have one, and you'll understand why as we continue on. The idea for these shirts, it says on the front, Jesus loves you, ask me how I know. And then on the back it says, ask me to pray for you. The idea for these shirts is really, it's an icebreaker. It's an invitation. I I don't expect that you'll walk out and then crowds are going to gather and you're going to preach the gospel. Hey, but if you're called to be an evangelist like Philip, that will happen. But primarily what's going to happen is people will see and they'll ignore you. They'll walk the other way. They'll cross over to the other side of the street. That's fine. But there's going to be those who respond. And it's like a business who puts an open sign on the door, just letting everybody know we're open for business. In the same way, we're saying, hey, look, I believe in Jesus. He loves you. I'd love to share with you more about that. If you'd like to hear, come and ask me. Or, hey, God loves you. He cares about what's going on in your life. I'd like to pray with you about whatever's going on. Come and ask. I'd love to pray for you. It's just a way to break the ice to invite people Hey, come engage. I'd love to share with you more about God and lift up your needs before Him. And so we want to get one of these shirts to every one of you so that you have that opportunity to preach the Word, to share the love of God, and to minister to people one-on-one. Well, as we continue on looking at the vision, the vision is for you to wear it to our outreaches. We have at the end of this month coming up, Light the Night. And so we want to encourage you, wear it to Light the Night. So that you can be here that evening. And again, we're going to have uh, you know, people sharing from the microphone. But the primary ministry is going to happen with you one-on-one amongst those that God brings to this property. 
And so I would encourage you, I would challenge you, be available for that and wear this shirt for that outreach so that you can be available to minister to those that God brings. In November, we have another outreach event that the women's ministry is going to be planning and putting together. Uh, I think it's a food and craft fair, again, out here in the church parking lot. And we would encourage you again at that time, wear these shirts. Because God's going to be bringing people and you want to have opportunity to be able to minister to them. Coming up in 2013, we're going to be planning uh, some more outreaches, some different kinds of events and things that God's put upon our hearts. And there's going to be lots of opportunity for you to put on the shirt, to engage and participate and be part of inviting people to Jesus, which is the purpose that he's called us to do. So we want to encourage you to wear it to our outreaches, but we also want to encourage you to wear it in daily life. So it's not only for those special events and occasions. Hey, you're going to the mall, wear your shirt. You're going to the dentist, it's a great opportunity, wear your shirt. You're going to the grocery store, you're going to Disneyland, wherever you might go. We want to encourage you, wear the shirt. Use it as an opportunity to be a light, to preach the word everywhere. That it's not limited to just special events or special occasions, but wherever God, wherever you go, that's where God is sending you to be available to minister to the people who might need prayer, who might need to know that Jesus loves them. So wear it to our outreaches, wear it around town, and then I would finally say, wear it wisely. Wear it wisely. In other words, bless you. A wedding is probably not the best place to wear the shirt. <laughs> wear it wisely. Use some discernment. Use some discretion. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes, you know, it's kind of fun to get people kind of riled up. I like to do that to Elsa a lot. I just kind of ruffle her feathers a little bit and she enjoys it too. But, <laughs> you know, we, we kind of like that sometimes, but I would encourage you, that's not what these shirts are for. It's not to, to purposely get people irritated or angry. You know, so be a light, but don't be an irritating light. <laughs> don't shine a spotlight in people's face when, when it's not appropriate. Use some wisdom. Let the Lord lead you. Be led by the Holy Spirit on, on how and when to uh, wear the shirt. So wear it throughout your time, you know, wherever you go. But also use some discernment. There was some discussion that we were having about, you know, what about the workplace? You know, is it appropriate to wear in the workplace? Well, again, it's one thing to be a light. It's another thing to, well, to, to be inappropriate. Now, I wouldn't say that you shouldn't or couldn't or never wear it at work, but you need to seek the Lord on that. Now, if it was me and I was back working at Paychecks, uh, we had casual Fridays every once in a while. For sure, I absolutely would wear the shirt. Uh, but, you know, that's me and that environment. It was very open to, uh, to that. But don't wear it just to try to insist on your rights. You know, don't wear it just to try to prove a point. Wear it if you want the opportunity to be able to minister to people. That's what it's all about. And if it's going to take away from your opportunity to minister to people, then be wise. And minister to people anyways, but you don't have to wear the shirt to do it. And so what we've done is we've ordered a hundred of these shirts. 
We've given the majority of them away, but we're going to be placing another order this week. And so after the service, you can grab one, or if you, we don't have your size available, then write your name and the shirt size down so that we, we can place the order and that you can, be, you can be included in that and we can make sure that you get one. Now, I already know there's going to be objections. You know, some people object. Uh, you know, I don't want to wear a shirt like that. I don't want to wear a shirt that color, that kind of thing. Uh, just like people object, you know, hey, I don't want to put a bumper sticker on my car. Um, and you ask them why. Well, because I drive crazy, you know, so I don't want to have a Christian bumper sticker because I drive crazy. I would say, hey, you need to repent if that's why you don't want a bumper sticker on your car. Stop driving crazy. Drive like a Christian. Drive like Jesus would. Seriously. Seriously. Now, I don't personally put bumper stickers on my car that much because I just don't really like the way that it looks on my car. But that's different. It's not about, you know, hey, I'm not going to wear this shirt because yeah, I kind of act crazy. I don't always walk right. Well, again, I would say repent. Repent. I, I understand being uncomfortable to wear the shirt. I, I know what that's like. Believe me, I know what that's like. I would rather talk to a hundred people than one person one-on-one. I've grown a lot. I can go ask for ketchup from the counter. But still, (laughs) talking to people individually, oh man, it's still a challenge for me. And so in this challenge to you, I'm being challenged as well. This is God saying, hey, let's grow in this to be able to minister to people one-on-one. And I would say, with as much love as I can muster up, okay, I don't mean this mean, but look, if you don't want to participate in this, would you please check and make sure that you're attending the right church? There's lots of other places where you can go and be fed and be ministered to. The body of Christ is a lot bigger than this property. And so go and find out where God has you. But this is the vision that God's given for this particular body. And He's gathered us together to invite people to Jesus, believe in Jesus, and serve one another in love. And this is what He's called us to do. And if you don't want to participate, that's fine. You don't have to. If you're not part of this body, then find where God has you. And be part of the body and be engaged and, and participate in the body that He's called you to participate in. But this is the purpose of this church. That we would invite people to Jesus. And God is calling us to grow in this area to preach the word everywhere. Well, I want to give you a couple quick pointers for this shirt and how to respond as people respond to the message that is on here. So the first side, the front side says, Jesus loves you. Ask me how I know. And so I just want to give you some quick tips on when people say, so how do you know how to respond to that? First of all, I would say, pray before you answer. And I think of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 2. He's burdened by the situation in Jerusalem. And so he's sad. He goes before the king and the king says, Hey, you've never been sad before. Why are you sad in my presence? And I love it because it says, Nehemiah prayed to the God of heaven and said to the king, and he went on to answer the king. Nehemiah didn't go off into a closet and, you know, get on his knees and then fold his hands and bow his head and close his eyes and say, Oh, Lord God, and then pray for 20 minutes. He shot up a quick prayer. The king says, hey, what's wrong? Why are you sad? Lord, please help me. Okay, king, here's the situation. 
In the same way as people come up and say, well, how do you know? Pray before you answer. It doesn't have to be a long 20-minute thing. You don't have to like stop everything and shout, you know, hallelujah, Jesus. Just to say, Lord, help me answer this. Help me minister to this person that you've brought here. So pray before you answer. Then the second thing I would say is, answer with meekness. Meekness. And Peter tells us in 1 Peter 3.15, he says, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So Peter says, be ready to give a defense. Be ready to give an answer. But he says, with meekness. Meekness is strength under control. You could also maybe consider it as gentleness. Now, you might have the whole Bible memorized. But when someone comes and says, well, how do you know? That's not the time to just spew out 75 verses you memorized. (laughs) Hold back. Restrain yourself. Have meekness. Yeah, you might be able to pound them with theological arguments. Hold back. It's not an attack. This isn't that kind of war. It's spiritual war. But we're not trying to defeat the people. We're trying to defeat the enemy. And we defeat the enemy with meekness. As we share what's appropriate with the people that are there asking us the question. With the people who are in front of us. So hold back your strength. Hold back all that information, all that you know. Share enough. Share with them. But restrain yourself. Again, not the spotlight in the face. You know, but give them some light that they might understand that Jesus loves them. I really like this word. He says to give a defense to everyone who asks. The word defense in the Greek, it's apologia, which we get the word apologetics from. It's the idea of defending the faith. But it's also the word that we get the word apology from. Apology. I love the way Pastor Bob Coy explained this one time. He said it. it's like not apologizing for the gospel, but saying, oh, you don't know that Jesus loves you? I'm sorry you don't know that. Let me, let me tell you about that. Let me share with you how I know that Jesus loves you. And there's this gentleness, there's this meekness, like, I'm sorry you didn't know. I'd like to share with you more information that you could understand that Jesus loves you. And so pray before you answer. Answer with meekness. And then I would suggest that you answer with the word. You could follow the song. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. The Bible does tell us that. Many places. I'll list a couple here real quick. You can jot them down. Get a good grasp of them so that you're ready with them to share with others as they ask. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. 1 John 3.16 That's easy to remember too. By this we know love because He laid down His life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So John 3.16 1 John 3.16 You could look at 1 John 4 9 and 10 Again, it tells us that the love of God was manifested to us. How? God sent His only begotten Son into the world. That's how we know that He loved us, because He died for us. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 8. 
Paul explains, we were still sinners, but Christ died for us. Someone might die for a righteous person, but we were sinners and Christ died for us. And so God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And so there's a couple examples there that you could grasp hold of, learn them well. Every time the Bible wants to teach us about God's love for us, it points back to the cross. That's our job. People ask, how do you know? Because of the cross. Because of what Jesus did, dying upon the cross for your sin, for my sin. He didn't deserve it, but he paid the price for us. Now, I would remind you at this point that it's not your job to convert people. Our job is to share what the Bible says. To share the good news in a way that people understand and can receive it. The rest of the work is up to the Lord. We don't have to have all the answers. It's not about trying to win debates. It's an invitation. And if people want to respond, then they have the opportunity to respond. Well, the back of the shirt says, Ask me to pray for you. And a couple quick tips on responding as people ask you to pray for them as you wear this shirt. First of all, I would say, pray before you pray. Just like you pray before you answer, pray before you pray. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8 that the Holy Spirit prays on our behalf when we don't know what to pray for. And there's going to be a lot of times that people ask you for prayer and you're really not going to know how to pray or what to pray for. And so, pray before you pray. Again, just quick request to the Lord. Lord, help me to pray what's appropriate for this person and fill in the gaps where I miss. So pray before you pray. Secondly, I would say, ask what the need is. Very simple. You want me to pray? Sure. What's going on? How can I pray for you? Give them an opportunity to share, have that conversation, and then take the moment to pray for them. And then finally, I would say, pray simply. Pray simply. Jesus rebuked the religious leaders for praying long prayers because they thought they would be heard because they were so long, because they had so many words. It's not that we should never have long prayers. But, you know, in the context of what this is going to be happening, probably what's most appropriate is a simple prayer. Just lift up the need before the Lord. In Peter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter tells us to cast our care upon Him because He cares for us. And that's really what we want to do. We want to let people know, God cares for you, let's cast your care upon Him because He cares. And so, we just simply take the time to lift up that need and to cast the care upon the Lord. So that's the vision for the shirts. And we want to encourage you to be wearing them around town at our outreaches. Just be open and available. I know it's a stretch. I know it's probably out of our comfort zone many times. Yet it's what God is calling us to do as a body. Now, let me end with Acts chapter 1 verse 8 once again. Jesus said, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And as we finish up this morning, you need to know you can't preach the word and be the witness to Jesus without being filled with the Holy Spirit. He wants you to be a witness to Corona and Norco and Riverside and to the ends of the earth. But first, you've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We studied just a couple weeks ago in Luke. Jesus said, if you want to be filled with the Spirit, you just need to ask. Ask and you will receive. Knock and it will be open to you.
Fathers, don't give stones to their sons who ask for bread. Neither will your heavenly Father hold back the Holy Spirit to those who ask. He will provide. He will pour out. So I want to pray for you, and I would ask that you would agree with me in the prayer to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that you could be a witness to Jesus everywhere you go, that you'd be able to preach the Word. Would you stand with me, and I'll pray it for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I lift up those who are here, God, those who are watching, those who are listening to this. Lord, I pray for all of us. Lord, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit according to your word. I pray, Lord, that you would baptize us, that you would overflow us, just as you said that torrents of living water would flow forth from your followers. God, I pray that you'd pour forth your Holy Spirit into us, wash away the sin, wash away the junk, fill us up, but then flow forth from us that we might be witnesses to you wherever we go. I pray, God, for each one that you would anoint them, empower them, give them great boldness by your Spirit. And Lord, may we be used by you to preach your word everywhere we go. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. This, this morning as we're finishing up, there's going to be people up here. If you need prayer, hey, if you need to get right with God, you've got to do that before you can be a witness. So come on up. We'd love to help you get right with God or whatever else is going on. If not, God bless you. You're dismissed. We'll see you this evening at 6 o'clock for our evening service. You're entering the mission field, so go be a witness to Jesus.